Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. I get asked a lot about CBD products these days, but it's difficult to answer meaningfully. The variety of claims being made, the clinical science just isn't there yet. Luckily, I've connected with an Oregon company that is all about high-quality ingredients and manufacturing standards. No hype. They were previously called Select CBD, but they've just relaunched their brand as Social CBD. Social CBD focuses on broad-spectrum oil, something else you've probably heard about but might be confusing. So let's start with that. Hemp has over 60 non-psychoactive cannabinoids. CBD, just one of them. Broad-spectrum oil goes beyond CBD isolate and contains additional active compounds that work together to create what's known as the entourage effect. This can more effectively deliver the calming or relaxing effect people are looking for. Social CBD's broad-spectrum oils contain zero THC, so there's no high or reinforcing or reinforcing effects you might associate with hemp or cannabis. They're available in great-tasting tinctures such as vanilla mint, pomegranate tea, Meyer lemon. Just drop under your tongue for maximum effect. Social CBD products are available in a range of formulations, each of which is clearly described so you can make an informed decision without all the promises that sound too good to be true. To learn more, go to drdrew.com slash socialcbd. That is my website, drdrew.com slash social, S-O-C-I-A-L-C-B-D. For a limited time, save 20% at checkout with the code Dr. Drew. That is D-R-D-R-E-W. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, keep the wind in the sails of that Corolla Pirate Ship. Support those that support us. We appreciate it very, very much. And uh, do check out drdrew.com where you can uh, find some our whole family podcast there. And uh, don't forget drdrew.tv if you want to be involved with the Ask Dr. Drew streaming show on the weekends that we're doing. We may even start doing it twice a week, which is live, interactive on multiple platforms. Check that out. And, of course, uh, your mom's house, the uh, After Dark show. And we've got a whole series of uh, visits, videos coming up. Some uh, I went and visited Robert Paul Champagne. Those of you that know that show, this is a, is a, a historic moment that you won't want to miss. Welcome to the show today, Tracy McCubbin. McCubbin? McCubbin. McCubbin. Book is Making Space Clutter-Free, the last book on decluttering you'll ever need. Available on Amazon. The website is D, the letter D, clutterfly.com. Tracy can be followed on Twitter at Tracy underscore McCubbin. And, um, yeah, tell me about the book. First of all, let's start with that. Um, so I have been a professional declutterer for about 12 years. I may want to hire you for my house. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I think you have ki- a lot of kids, don't I you? I have triplets, but they're mostly out. Oh, so you, yeah. have, the, you have the float some and jet some of children. The leftover. Yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. My, my wife asked me for her birthday to get everybody together and do a purging of the house. Oh, I, I have gift certificates. It might make a nice stocking stuffer. Fantastic. Yeah. So I've been doing this for about 12 years, <clears> and um, I – over working with thousands of clients, I found that people, all of us, we told ourselves what I call these emotional stories about our stuff and why we couldn't let go of it. And it really came down to that everyone kind of told themselves the same step, seven stories or excuses. I paid too much for it. My grandma gave it to me as she died. I might use it someday. And so I saw this theme coming up That's again. That's three. I want to hear all seven. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, paid too much for it. I might use it someday. My grandma died and left it to me. Um, it's too nice for me to use. I'm not worth my good stuff. Um, avoiding my stuff. I don't want to open my mail or look through my paperwork. Um, 
Then there's also a big one that I see a lot is stuck in the past. So a, a house full of remnants of trophies from when your kids were little or right. when you played football or um, – Or you strangely – it's a strange connection to that past. It's like I worked so hard to get this. I, I don't know how to let go of it kind of thing. Well, and it's also the funny thing that I've found is that so much of that stuff that people are hanging on to the past are bad memories. I just – I did this podcast with somebody and he brought in hilariously a football jersey and he's like, should I keep it or should I go with it? And I said, well, you know, it doesn't have your name on it, doesn't have the team name on it. And did you love playing football? And he's like, no, I hated it. And I hated high school. And I was like, why are you keeping this? So these things came up and I was like, there's something here. And I um, I grew up the child of a hoarder. Mm. So I have seen the hold that people's stuff can have on them. And I, you know, people kind of throw hoarding around these days. It's like, oh, I'm such a hoarder today. It's like, well, no, it's an actual disorder. Mm -hmm. But we as a country right now, we are drowning in stuff. We have too much stuff. So I really like kind of literally glimpsed into people's homes to see this attachment and that it was – Turning out, it's just people are starting to be owned by their stuff instead of their stuff owning them. So I wanted to write a book for not only hoarders but everyone who is struggling with their relationship to their stuff, you know, taking what I've learned from working with all my clients for all these years and my own experience. George Carlin had Yes. Famous series. Yes, it's the it's, best. We, we get bigger houses. We can put more stuff. And then in you it. you fly over it. And um, Ellen just did a great bit too about um, packing for your fantasy vacation. You know, and I see that all the time. My fantasy stuff for my fantasy life. Like someday I'm going to be you know a knitter and I buy everything for knitting. Or I'd love to be a rock climber. And you're like, but you're scared of heights. <laughs> so what I want people to know is that that. It's just not as easy as like, oh, just let it go. Like there's a real deep emotional attachment and that's why it's difficult. Well, yeah, you were starting to say you were seeing patterns. I interrupted you. What, what are these emotional patterns? It's, it's, a, stor- it's a story. It's, a, it's an attachment that somehow you think this stuff is going to change your life or make you happy. But most people don't even know it's there. They come upon it. They, and, and they uh, haven't been come upon it for years. And, or they're paying for storage off-site. Yeah. You know, they're paying $1,200, $1,500 a year to store it. And you know they think – I mean I'm going to maybe go out of my lane a little bit. But it's almost the way I see people – who use food or booze or hmm. pot to kind of literally stuff their feelings. I mean, I've gone into many a client's home and the master bedroom is like a, like a wall of clutter between the two partners and taxes step, stacked up on the sides. And I'm like, How, how's your marriage? You know, that they use it to avoid intimacy. If you can't eat, if you're as a family, you can't eat dinner at your dining room table because there's so much stuff on it. How are you going to connect as a family? How are you going to be able to sit down at the end of the day and say, how was your day? Because everyone's eating on the couch watching TV. And sometimes I think we build these walls of stuff to avoid being intimate or avoid having feelings. Other, other than these seven common th- stories that you see, is there a common – other than what we're talking about here, is there a common emotional core to this? You know, I think it depends a little bit on the person. I think it's a lot of people avoiding. They just don't want to feel the feelings. Um, A lot of grief, a lot of sadness, a lot of 
you know, people they've lost. Or, Some people start hoarding after during grief. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not a therapist or a psychologist, but I have seen for a lot of people um, that their hoarding gets kicked off by a deep emotional event. event. Yeah. yeah. So if they're sort of teetering on the edge and then a divorce happens or somebody dies – you know, it just become it just go, gets out of control. Do you help with the hoarding too? I do, I do. Um, I'm actually right now working with Glozell, who I think you know. I know Glozell. Um, she put out an SOS video because <laughs> she was hoarding. So wow. we've been working together for co- um, a month or so now, and she's doing great. But hers was all about loss. Hers is she was chronically online. What happened? Is she? Yeah, because she's all online. Yeah. yeah. All what of was it. the loss? Uh, started with um, I think. A cousin died when she was little and then her dad passed. I mean, she had her dad's prosthetic leg. Mm. Like, you know, it was so I think it was loss upon loss upon loss. And then her husband left her because of it. And, you know, her career stalled out and she just couldn't do it anymore. So the great thing about her is that she has a real motivator to fix it. And when you're working with people, do you have to – Go through the emotions, or is yeah, it? Yeah, of course. Is it? But I mean, sometimes it's creating the out, changing the outside first, then the inside changes. Yeah, right? some people, yeah. and it depends on you know. Some people, it hits them after we work together. Some people, um, you know, it's happening in front of me. I often joke that as it's going on, I'm like, "There's a shrink in Beverly Hills that's getting four twenty five an hour for nah, this." Huh. <laughs> but so it's always the room, and that's why I think because of my father. And his hoarding, why I have such deep empathy that I can let them go through whatever they need to go through. What was his thing? Oh, uh, paper. My dad, everything, everything. He's um, – there's a scale, 1 to 10, and he's at the top of the scale. So I think at this point now, we're pretty sure he lives in his backyard. We don't think he can get into his house anymore. Mm. And he won't – he won't uh... – is he OCD or schizophrenia or anything? Or? He's OCD. Um, they have recently separated OCD from yeah. hoarding disorder. I think, but, it's, but you can have hoarding as part of OCD. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's a standalone. I think it's emotional trauma. Mm. Um, but you know, we've tried a couple of different ways to get real specific help, and he won't do it. So it's, you know, you feel like a bad kid, but. You know, you can only do what you can do. Did you have to live in that when you were growing up? I didn't. My mom left him because of it. Mm. So, but he had custody, so we would go and, you know, stay with him. And uh, so it was, but when I was growing up, he was just eccentric. It wasn't, he was a pack rat. Like it wasn't a disorder. It wasn't mental illness. It was just like, oh, that's the weird guy with a lot of stuff. And still though, what was it like? You couldn't sit down anywhere. You couldn't get across the hall. You know, he, um, he was interesting because he would uh, – he set his life up to sort of try and stay ahead of it. So for years, he just sublet. He never had a place. So I think he would just keep moving along. And then when he started to settle, yeah, it would get – Would just he take to, it with him when he'd yeah, move around? Yeah, he has a bunch of storage units and Oof. he travels around with a, um, a like one of those carts that you put suitcases on full of – Cardboard boxes of paperwork. So he looks like he's about ready to do his taxes at any and, and moment. And what's in the paperwork? You know, picks up flyers. He'll pick up – if you had a – if there was a flyer for, you know, a something – a calendar, free calendars are out right now. He'll get 10 of them. 
Has he ever tried medication or anything? Or? Won't do it. Won't do it. Uh, and is there a, like a most difficult case you've dealt with? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I Yeah, there have been a couple really hard ones. Uh, I have gotten to the point where because I am busy enough and I've done this long enough, I won't work with a hoarder unless I know that they're in therapy. Mm. Um, I usually suggest someone who has worked with hoarders and specializes in cognitive behavior therapy. Um, if they're not in any kind of talk therapy, doesn't matter. I'm gonna we're gonna get rid of it, and it's all gonna come back. Right. So it's um, so I have a few things that'll help me. It's uncanny how they how they can bring it back. It's oh. not the same material; it's just it accumulates again so fast. Yeah, just so fast. You know, I, I've had a clients that you you know they agree to it and they're all on board and. They throw it all away, and I go to the restroom, and I can. I've looked out the window, and they're back in the trash, pulling it all. Ooh, out. they pull it out the actual yeah. their own stuff. Ugh. Yeah, you know, it's just that attachment is so intense. Um, so, but for me, it's also I want you know there are people that are living where just these lives of quiet, cluttered desperation. You know that they don't have people over and. They haven't had a friend over in years. They don't have their family over. I have a lot of clients who are very successful, have big jobs, and they're like, oh, I haven't had someone in my house in 12 years. And it's such an isolation. And they usually know that something's not right, right? Yeah. The shame is huge. Yeah. You know, it's not um, – But they, but they will – some of them will minimize it. A lot of them will like, oh, yeah, this is that. And, I'm oh, yeah, a collector. One, yeah, I'm going to – yeah, I'm going to – one of these days I'm going to – you know, there's not enough room here. I need to move to a bigger place right. and all this sort of minimizing. And it's also busy work, right? It's all – they've always got something to do. Well, I'm going to go clean out that storage unit or I'm going to sort this stuff. I think of a lot of it as keeping loneliness at arm's distance because they're just busy all the time. It's all, they always got something to do. So it's almost a stimulant. Well, stimulate what? I'm going to go out of my lane again. I think there's an addictive quality. Mm-hmm. I think they get a – you'll correct me. I think they get a big dopamine hit, right? Well, the dopamine is just the part of the brain that says do that again. So the, yes, they have to get dopamine to get addicted because something's saying do that again, do that again, do that again. So something there's, happens when they do it. They get a yeah. like, I, I got a deal or well, – They may not experience it consciously. Right. Just their brain just goes again, again, again. Right. So yeah. it seems – that's what I seem that especially, um, you know, my dad likes to find tools by the side of the road and it's like he found gold that's at the gold a, rush. That's a that's a little different. Yeah, that's the euphoria. The that's, euphoria. Yeah. Exactly. Thank, yes. Yeah. So I think that there becomes this, you know, it's, it's the same as shopping addicts mm-hmm. who they get it from, you know, the finding something great on sale. Yeah. Behavioral compulsions. Yeah. And, and they're they're difficult to break. They really are. People have to want to make it better. Yeah, and what happens is our society is so set up that not break it. Like, look, if I walked in here, you know, and said, "Oh my God, I did five shot tequila shots on the way over here," you'd be like, "Huh?" Mm-hmm. But if I was like, "Oh, I got five pairs of shoes on sale on Black Friday," you'd be like, "She's a bargain hunter." But mm-hmm. I don't need five pairs of shoes. Like, so there's something socially acceptable about oh, yeah. getting a deal and buying more stuff. And do you have a sort of a guideline for how much stuff there should be? I do. Yeah, I have a great quiz in the book that kind of ranks Uh-oh. you about what you're going to do. Um, Let's see the quiz. Okay. <laughs> do you? <laughs> right. And there, are, you know, there are a couple markers of things like: Can you eat at your dining room table? Can you sleep in your own bed? 
can you tidy up a room in 20 minutes or less? That's the quiz. That's the quiz. Are you, you going to take I'm it? I'm worried about clothes and closets. So <laughs> do you leave your clean clothes in the laundry basket? Clean clothes. Yeah, clean clothes. Is your clo- meaning is your closet so in that case it's people whose closets are so full they can't they don't have room to put their clean clothes I away. Do you need to call a search party to find something? Do your shoulders have jackets and blazers have dust? He just D- said yes. Yes. <laughs> Does uh, trying to find the right outfit in the morning cause you to be late? No. That's have- a big one. A lot of people call me for that. They get they're huh. getting called into HR at work because they can't get out the door in the morning. Exercise equipment serving as a clothing rack. <laughs> Do you have to move cl- move clothes to get out of the way to get to bed? Is the state of the room keeping you from getting a good night's sleep? Like in bathrooms. Here we go. Does the cabinet look like an aisle at Walgreens? Do you have abundance Again, of unopened he said beauty yes. or bath products? Well, I'm thinking of my wife's bathroom right now. Are you using the shower bathtub for storage? Oh, my goodness. Does the thought of taking a bath make you tense? Does getting ready in the morning fill you with anxiety? Uh, does the cabinet look like an aisle at Walgreens? How about if it looked like a wall of uh, a aisle of Walgreens tipped over onto the cabinet, onto <laughs> like it threw up yes, on the countertop? On, on the countertop. <laughs> yes, it's entire and yes, and, and then emptied into the various drawers. As so. I like to say, oceans of potions and lotions. Oh my! That will God. you know that that we people think this is going to be the one that saves it. This is the one that's going to turn back time. The garage, just walking into the garage, filled with dread. Is it full of belongings of people who have passed away? That's a big one. Yeah. Look, Dr. Drew, only 25% of Americans can park their cars in their garage. Do you need to park a car elsewhere? <laughs> yeah, I, I do that. One, I have one car elsewhere. Is the middle of it filled with a collection of boxes that were from a previous move? Yeah. Is there stuff in the house that actually should be in the garage, like potting soil or tools, but can't fit in the garage? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, does your walking you know, feel a bit dread? And yeah, so I've got three... Maybe four of the five in the garage. Yeah. And uh, one or two in the bedroom. Kitchen stuff in the cl- one or two in the closet. How many, how many should you have? Zero? Well, like I think it's zero to ten. I yeah. mean, you have stuff. You can't you, – I'm not a minimalist, so – Well, tell me about minimalism. It feels like the, the next – this generation is sort of – I was going to – wrote that down. I was going to ask you about that. If, yeah, I have kids that are sort of defending or interested in minimalism. You know, I think that like – Everything like green living and, you know, waste-free, I think it's something to aspire to. I think it's really, really difficult. Um, You think it's a reaction to all what we were talking about? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think – okay, I'm just going to say it. Go ahead. Uh, I have noticed that the leaders of the minimalist movement are all men who have wives. Hmm. Um, so I feel like that there's a lot of support there for them to live that kind of life. Um, I think minimalism is a bit of a luxury um, to sort of make this choice. You know, if you're a family of five and you're working minimum wage jobs, like you're going to shop at Costco, you're going to do the best you can. And so for me, it's about there's not one way. It's how does I want your house to work for you and your family. I want you to come home and feel happy. I want you to be able to eat, dress, relax, renew, um, as opposed to it should look like a Pinterest page. Three steps back. Oh, that's a great one. Tell me about that. So that's about clutter. You know, I come to somebody's house and they're like, oh, my my kitchen is so cluttered. We got to start there. And I'm like, okay, well, we have to start in the garage. Like, that doesn't make sense. 
your kitchen counters are so cluttered because your cupboards are so cluttered so you can't put anything away and your cupboards are so cluttered because the back stock of paper towels that you should be able to keep in the garage, that's so cluttered. So you're so shoehorned into your home that the clutter is bursting out. So you start in the periphery yep. and you keep pushing things back out to the periphery. Exactly. That's You're like, oh, let me just push this over here. Let me, let me just kick this clutter can down the road. That's interesting. Are there parts of the country that are worse than others? Um, you know, a lot of it has – New York's tough because it's a lack of space. Right. You would think people would get good at not cluttering because of that. No, they figure out every way they can to put more stuff in. You Oof. know, the – I do a lot of work in the South. I think, um, interestingly, in LA, a lot of my work is in like Pasadena, Altadena. Um, I think where people have lived for a long time, um, you know, it, and the more space they have, the more they fill it up. And when you're you're asked to come help somebody, have you ever encountered serious mental illness? Yes. Like schizophrenia, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, those ones. That's why I do a free consult because there are some where I'm like, I just – this is way beyond me. Um, also, oftentimes I do a lot of senior downsizing and helping seniors age in place, so decluttering um, so they can stay safe at home. And sometimes I'll see the beginnings of Alzheimer's or, you know, I've got to call the kids and say, hey, it's time to pay a little more attention. Mm. Um, and are people trying to downsize so they can live in smaller units kind of thing too? Yeah, a lot of downsizing to live somewhere, you know, get on one floor – you know, be able to lock the door and travel. Um, and then sometimes they need to declutter so that they can, you know, they're going to get less mobile. They need to make their home safe so they can age in place. Is there kind of an average client for you? No, no I do. It's all over the place. Tell me about your not-for-profit oh, educational foundation. Yeah, it's called One Kid, One World. And we are based here in Los Angeles. And what we do is we identify schools in Kenya and Central America that are struggling to stay open and we get them what they need. So we buy desks. We pay teacher salaries. We provide feminine hygiene for girls. Um, we build dorms. We build science labs. So we work within a community that's already decided where a school is supposed to be and we help them keep their doors open. How did you get involved with this? A childhood friend of mine um, went to Darfur and when he was there, he met a Kenyan doctor and nurse who were telling him about this girls' school that needed a science lab for them to be able to take their national exam. So he came home and he said, well, I'm a terrible party thrower and you're great. Help me throw a party. We raised $25,000. We went to Kenya. We met the girls and it changed my life. Wow. And then connecting Kenya with Central America seems like Random. Yeah, you know, Central America for us, we both and grew that's up four countries, five countries in Central yeah, America. Yeah. Yeah. We both grew up in California, so we have a lot of Central Americans in our lives and we got introduced to an organization that worked down there and so many people, especially in Los Angeles, have an El Salvadorian, have a, you know, Guatemalan family really, really attached. So it just seemed like an easy fit. But it's the same organization in both localities. We are the same organization. Yep. Yep. We do both. Glutadose Wellness, innovative supplement containing glutathione. Glutathione is a powerful antioxidant. It's in most cells in our body. It plays a key role in supporting the immune system and, of course, keeping us healthy. Due to aging or maybe some unhealthy diet, stress, substance use, glutathione levels do decrease and can leave our body exposed. With Glutadose Wellness, you can rejuvenate the cells by adding the glutathione back. 
Don't miss out on the best of life's moments. You can restore from the inside, build your cells' health up. Gluta Dose Wellness comes in a unique liquid formula, including 400 milligrams of glutathione plus vitamin C and zinc. Zinc, very important. All designed to raise glutathione levels, boost the immune system, improve skin and overall health. Gluta Dose Wellness is produced in the USA with the highest standards and best quality ingredients. Now, go to glutadose, G-L-U-T-A, dose, D-O-S-E dot com slash Dr. Drew 2. Use the promo code Dr. Drew 5 at checkout. Again, glutadose wellness, glutadose.com slash Dr. Drew 2. Use that code Dr. Drew 5 at checkout. You're Right now, you're going around, you're talking about the book, right? Yes. And, and are you trying to, what's your goal with this? I mean, what would the dream of this book be that no one clutters anymore or that you have that people are happy in their homes that their homes work for them that they don't feel shame that they understand their relationship to their stuff that they you know clients say to me all the time like i don't know how my house got like this and i'm like well you brought it in so i want us as a country to have more accountability for how much stuff we have don't pretend it just showed up you ordered it, it on Amazon. Does it say something about us philosophically? Yeah. Tell me. I think um, I think it says that we're looking for something outside of ourselves to be happy. Mm. I think we don't want to face ourselves. I think we've been sold a bill of goods that it's going to be the perfect body or the perfect stuff or the perfect car. Um, and I think we're getting really disconnected from each other. Do you ever get in, uh, come across the, the pet hoarding? I won't work with pet hoarders. Yeah. It's too it's too hard. Though we did pull back a headboard from a little old lady who'd passed away, and there was a mummified cat behind it. Oh, like, <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, pet hoarders are tough, and food hoarders are really tough. Oh, I I visited a guy f- for a different podcast a couple weeks ago, and he was hoarding everything but the food was the part that was a problem yeah uh the kitchen was just it was it was particular kinds of food too yeah and it's just that one's i mean that one's so wasteful right they never eat it and it go- goes bad and, and it's vermin and yeah stuff in there. well and it's super unhealthy i mean yeah. to live in that environment and you think about for me if i if you think that food is how we nourish and love ourselves like it just seems like the self-hatred is so deep and and you know when you look at the homeless population in this town, a lot of them are hoarders. Yeah, noticed, and no one ever talks about that. Now, no, that's, that's secondary. It seems a major mental, serious mental illness that's called SMI, typically. But the hoarding part, no one ever addresses. Also, the interesting thing I think I live in downtown, so I really see it. And you know they'll clean out they'll clean out a street, and then two weeks later, everybody's back with looks like just as much stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like. That is how much stuff we have that they can – everything can get thrown out and they can rebuild a village in two weeks. Yeah, and sometimes a day. A day, yeah, right? they bring it right back. Yeah, and, but it's all different stuff. Yep. And it's but – the, but the hoarding includes all kinds of – it can include excrements and all kinds of things. Yeah. And meh, you can't touch it. Law enforcement can't do a thing. No. And it, it's really – you know, I think I think I want people to understand that hoarding as a disorder – is a serious mental illness and, you know, it's 
it's different than sort of your garden variety clutter, but a lot of people are nosing up against it like something could happen and they could fall down that and, and even all of us have a little bit of it, or many of people course, have some the, something they could do better with this, right? And we're you know we're we're building our little caves. We want to stay safe, but we just don't need as much as we have. We don't need it. I'm still I'm still wanting to dig a little bit further into the 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 common sort of emotional experiences you see with this because there's something about there's some weird almost a memory function problem. Where I, I know I'm trying to think of my own relationship with stuff that I have trouble giving. We all come upon something, and I'll go, "Oh, I haven't seen that in forever. Thank God I kept that because it reminded me of all these things." And then I don't throw it away when I should. Right then. So I think that that process is what you really want is the memory. Yeah, that is what you want. Is you the don't memory, want but, the thing. You want the memory. But, so the thing tings the memory, and then you feel good. You know, when I do a lot of helping people. Um, clean out after someone's passed away, mm-hmm. either a parent or a spouse. And one of the things that I hear so often, especially when it's their handwriting, is my clients will always say, I feel like they're dying all over again. Ugh. You know, that they're, they're reliving yeah. that. But then they'll also, this woman said to me recently, her mom died very suddenly and she was clearly very attached. And she, she you know, in her 50s, and she had a bag of pe- the pens that were on her mom's desk when her mom passed and she has them on her nightstand and she said and I think she said it had been three or four years she goes every morning when I look at them I cry and every night before I go to bed I cry and I was like wow why are you doing that to yourself like you know there's a way to honor your mom and and it's just so interesting we put ourselves kind of just wallowing in the painful um, or almost that you don't have control. I, it's it's a funny it's a funny one. Unresolved grief, and so Unresolved yeah, grief. And so there's the the stimulant for the grief, and they're not willing to let go of that because that would mean letting go of the grief was the last vestige of the relationship. And I see a lot like the grief or the what I used to be. It's like this sort of almost like a I don't know an anchor that they hang on to. Like I can hang my I know I'm the person who grieved or I was the football star or my kids were smart. Like everybody wants to look backwards and not look forwards. That is interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I my my parents passed away and I was digging through some of the stuff and thank God I did not hang on to stuff. <laughs> but there was some ex- like crazy stuff in there like a first grade you know uh, report card and things and I, and I was like wow how extraordinary to come upon this history. It's hard to let it go because it is it's history, right? Right. Yeah. And it's, it's a primary these primary documents and primary symbols of 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 the your history, and your I, life. And I look, I think it's great. Like I call it the grandma grandpa box. Like I think everybody should have a box or two of that stuff that you you know. I have a, a report I wrote about you know how painful it was to be the daughter of a feminist, like how it got in my way of wanting to be a cheerleader. You know, you hang on to that stuff, but you don't need. Every turkey hand your kid ever did, right? And I think that, but it was so, still. I was grateful that I came upon it. Yeah, it was like, but, but it's but a little still bit of history. I, but I didn't know it was there before, and right. I thought, like, well, I've lived this long without knowing this was around, so I can continue. And it gave you that. a moment of yeah. amusement, yeah. right? You're like, well, look at me. But yeah. it's not. It's not easy though. It it, no. it is a no, and that's what I really try and stress in the book to people is. You know, this isn't easy. It's physically tough. I have a crew of eight people. Like, it's emotionally really hard. And I think people, you know, especially my seniors, when their kids are like, just throw it all away. And it's like, it's not that easy. And so I'm hoping that through the book, people can identify 
that they do have a block around it and they can pass through it. Move do they have it. to spend time with stuff? Is there a certain like – Yeah, I have some – I have some um, – I call them the bridges, some mantras or some exercises. You know, if – if yours is about stuck with other people's stuff and you're sentimentally attached to things that people – for people who have passed away, you know, I say like do something like, you know, on their birthday, make their favorite meal or put your favorite photo or do something to honor the legacy. I'm not you – know, I'm not a monster. And it seems like these days you can digitize everything too. Of course. You just take a bunch of pictures. Well, now and, that's the greatest yeah. I can say to my client. I'm like, OK, we'll take a picture of it yeah. and, and then see how often you go back and look Never. at it. Never. Never, yeah. never. You yeah, know, see, that's the part that's interesting. Right. Because you tell yourself, well, I'm glad it's there. You'll forget about it. You will never refer back to it. It yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, it's a really – it's a. It's just sometimes I'm – even me, after 12 years of doing this, I'm like, huh, we're, this is what we're going to – the hill we're going to die on? You know, but I think that people – there are ways to save the memories. There's ways to honor the legacy. But – I feel a lot of times with clutter and our stuff, the message that we're getting sent is that our best days are behind us. Mm. You know, that we, oh, I used to fit into those pants. You know, when I was that size, that's when I was awesome, you know. And, and or this it, will come back in style again. Yes, and it will have passed you by. <laughs> you know, so we're not looking. I want everybody to look forward. I want everybody to know that these are your best days. Is it expensive to do this? Um, it can get expensive. Um, you know, I, I have reasonable rates and then I'm a little more expensive. But, yeah, if, you know, I, there are plenty of jobs that are five days, ten days. Of, uh, do you have to bring in like crews and things? Yeah, or? I have a crew of eight people. But, I mean, it's like do you have to bring in like moving equipment? or Sometimes, Oof. yeah. Some uh, trash haulers. I got it all. We oh can do gosh. it all. But, you know, oftentimes, especially like after somebody's passed, you know, we do it. And they that means – I mean we could do it in four days. What would take people months and they can get the house on the market. Have you have – you, I asked you if, what was your most difficult. Well, let me ask a little different question. Like, have things surprised you? Have you come up on people's experiences or behaviors or things you know, they've done and thought, yeah. oh boy. You know what surprises me the most? Yeah. How many people can't sleep in their own beds? Hmm. That their master bedrooms are so cluttered that they sleep on the couch. That's the one – Every time I see it, it just breaks my heart a little bit, like that you don't value yourself to take care of yourself in the mo- next to food and water at sleep, you know, and that one it just never fails to surprise me. Do you think the bed is someplace they actually want to avoid, like they used to yeah. sleep with somebody or something? Yeah, I think there's – that often sometimes comes in, in around weight issues. I think loneliness. I think um, self-worth. Like a lot of people like, I don't deserve to sleep in a nice bed even though they work hard and, you know, it, it's just – that one always surprises me. What's on the bed? Usually clothes, uh. paper, lots of paper, magazines, taxes, everything but, a you know, a pillow and a down comforter. Oh, my God. It just sounds uncomfortable to even think about it. I know. It's really – but that change, if I can if I can get that one, if I can get somebody back sleeping in their bed, the rest of the house goes easy. How can – how do you make it so that they don't, they don't reclutter? You know, it's a combination of setting – it really helps to have a vision of what you want, right? Do you want to bring a partner into your life? You know, that you're working – you're seeing the correlation between – my bedroom is so cluttered, I can't sleep in my bed, therefore I'm not going to put myself out to date because I, I can't ever, you know, how could I show this to someone else? I want a date. 
let's clean up the bedroom. So it's about giving them a goal, a vision, something looking forward, and then to understand that it's a process and I'll come back and you're going to need a tune-up. Rome wasn't cluttered in a day. You 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 got to you got to do the work, right? You got to you can't think you're going to do it once. I mean, it's just like anything. It's just like, you know, exercise. It's still so fascinating though. It's just such a crazy behavior the humans have. I know. Yeah. It's, and I think, I mean, it must, I'm sure someone's done a study, but it must have to do with some ancient reptilian sure. like, brain that we have to keep everything to stay safe. But now that the world, you know, it's the same way. I feel like clutter is the same thing as processed foods, right? The minute, the minute our country got flooded with processed foods after World War II, that's when we started to see obesity rise. Food got easy to get. I think we've started to see clutter since cheap consumer goods came along. Since China? Yeah. Now it's so easy to buy. You go to the 99 cent store. You go to the dollar store. You can just buy, you know, don't talk to me about that stuff that kids come home from from birthday parties. Like those erase, like smelly erasers and pencils. Like, you know, it's just so easy to accumulate that we've gotten out of whack of how much we need versus how easy it is to bring it in. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So I think that in the same way that food got cheap, right? Fast food, you can super easy to eat bad. Hmm. Yeah. It's like – and it's back to your, your addiction analogy. When it's more readily available, when it's more powerfully reinforcing, when it can you know build momentum – Yeah, all that stuff. I mean, look, Jeff Bezos someday is going to come gunning for me, but I just think Amazon's the worst. And I fall to it. I live in a building with a doorman. I'll order something on Amazon. I get the email that I have a package. My doorman hands me my package, and literally my first thought is, oh, somebody sent me something. Like, it's a little surprise. Yeah, it's a present. It's like, no, I spent my hard-earned money on that. Like, even I do. So I think that exactly, easily available. um, Highly rewarding momentum to it it's yeah like, it's 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 e- it's easy i mean i do deal with a lot of shopping addicts That's yeah a, the, the one that i've in, in patients that i've seen it's the uh, qvc stuff it's oh on TV. yeah they just they don't, they don't even open it it just yeah. accumulates and they don't don't even open and the you know i think that set up i've dealt with a lot of seniors who have been um scammed by somebody selling them stuff because they'll stay on the phone with them for an right. hour and a half right and i think qvc <laughs> is Set up now. I'm going to offend QVC. Um, uh, set up so that you feel like you have a friend in your living room. Mm-hmm. You're not lonely. You got you know somebody selling you face cream, and they really believe in you. And I think it's literally. I think the set is set up that way. I think that you know. And for my shopping addicts, the fir- my biggest thing besides getting rid of the stuff is create meaningful interactions with other humans that aren't transactional. You know, go volunteer, get a dog, go to the dog park, like take, you know, you know, they'll be like, oh, I have lots of friends. You know, they're the clerks at the store. I love to shop. And I'm like, they're paid to make you feel that way. Is there any common background in your shopping addicts that you find a common no, history? Yeah. No. Because I, it's ones I, some of the ones I've seen, they often had some very powerful emotional experience with a parent or someone they loved with a reward or a gift or a shopping or something as a child. Yeah. I, I mean, I do tend you know, no, because I have seen it a lot in people who grew up lower socioeconomic and then started to make the thing I will say that ties shopping addicts together. The thing I hear all the time is, well, I deserved it. 
I worked really hard. I deserve this. This is a treat. This is a reward. So maybe that ties into what you're saying about parents. I saw some special one time about shoplifters, and that was the thing that they all said. Like, I, I'm owed this. I deserve this. Hmm. And oftentimes I see that with the shoppers. Like, I worked really hard. You know, I, I deserve a nice dress. Hmm. And it's, um, you know, it's that's that's a tough one. I, I tend to see shopping much more in women than men. Hmm. But men are way more sentimental. In what sense? Ugh. This was like the first baseball cap that I wore oh, yeah. to the first game. They very, you know, my senior men are always like, those are the tools that I used to fix my car with. I'm going to start to fix my car. And I always fix my car that they, men really look backwards to what they've accomplished. Huh. I know. Very sentimental. Way more than women. And and by sen- I'm, I, I, I want to drill in on what you mean by sentimental, sort of. Attached to the historical yeah, symbols? Yeah, yeah. Attached to, you know, things from when their kids were little. So much around sports, I think. Huh. I But I think it makes them feel tribal, right? That they belong to something. So it's like, that was the first game that I ever went to at the new AT&T stu- stadium, and I can't. And I think it gives them a sense of belonging. Um, yeah, they'll fight me tooth and nail, man. Boy, that's so funny. I know, I know. I know. It's really it's really interesting. I love working with seniors. I love senior downsizing because I've just heard so many amazing stories. I work a lot in Los Angeles with um, Japanese-American descents, lots and lots who were interned or their grandparents were interned. Mm-hmm. So I see a huge – Huge correlation. Connection I can go into a, I can go into a house and I can say you were in Reedley, right? I can just see it in a, in a minute. What is it? What do you see? Like, Reedley was an internment. No, no, no. Camp. But what do you see that? Um, I mean, they tend to be Japanese descent, so we start there. Uh, and it's just it's a lot of Costco. It's a lot. It's not decor. It's not tchotchkes. It's things that keep you alive. So food and just shopping bags and cleaning supplies and, you know, this idea, you know, imagine somebody came in and took away everything that was yours. I mean, it makes complete sense. And so when we have that conversation, it's like, oh, wow, right? There's the correlation. You're like, you look, you came by this honestly. And and when you said you have your doorman where you live, you live in New York? No, I live in downtown L.A. Oh. Yeah. Doorman downtown? Yeah, we're That's fancy nice. like that. Uh, <laughs> well, and you're certainly surrounded by all that hoarding on the streets. So yeah. Boy, boy, boy. Yeah, I know. It's really – the homeless hoarding is really intense. It's really um, – it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. Yeah, well, that's that's all. I, I, I don't. I don't think that's primary hoarding. I think it's a symptom of psychotic illness. Yeah, I, I think so. so. I think so too. I, I think. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I it's think all, so. just a, a lot. That's what it is. I know that that homeless. Well, Gary, do you guys hoard yet? Baby goods? Uh, absolutely not. I am actively fighting against it. My uh, garage. My garage. I declared when we moved into our home would never be. Anywhere but it. There's storage all around it, but those cars will always go in. Did there. they just have a baby? Yes. So, are you ready for this, Gary? <laughs> sure. Uh, for every child that you introduce into your family, you increase your possessions by thirty percent. Oh, I'm sure it's higher than that. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I would say too. Yeah. Well, and a second kid, another thirty percent. So, if you have three kids, you're up to ninety percent. Well, I got started late in the game, so hopefully, I'm done at one. But 
I, I think it's <laughs> no. I think our I think our belongings have probably gone up by fifty percent. Yeah, just even before he arrived with all the crap that came in to get ready for it, and we're slowly that cycling. Was a, that was a shock to me. Oh, How much stuff kids came with? A shock. I know. I know. And then you don't know. Yeah, we purged it though. We got rid of it. Yeah. There's great. By the way, Baby to Baby is an amazing local organization that will take. All that stuff. That's fantastic, especially post fires. Like that baby stuff is really easy to donate. That's That's one of the things that I, I know. That's one of the things I love to do with my clients and that I do a little bit different than a lot of people in my field is that, um, I work really hard to donate what can be donated to smaller organizations. Um, I work a lot with organizations that work with foster kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found is if it's hard for someone to let go, if they know it's going to someone who can use it, that makes sense. they can get outside themselves. Yes, so that, um, that one, that one's been, that's been great. You, you mentioned shopping and obviously hoarding and stuff. Are there other kinds of behaviors you encounter? Uh, hoarding, uh, and we didn't say no pets. We don't, we don't get involved <laughs> no with that. Pets. But do people hoard other stuff? Pa- you know, paper. In narrow, in narrow. Yeah, it's paper is just the one that surprises me over and over again. And, you know, with my seniors, I can understand it because they came from a generation when if you lost a, if you lost your pink slip, you know, you were at the DMV for a week. But there's just a certain – they're almost like they're information hoarders. Like they're afraid they're going to miss something. Like the secret to life is in that – printout that they printed from that website. It's just the paper is just people are drowning in it. And they're like, oh, I might need that. And I'm like, but you would never be able to find it. it do some people have a time scale? In other words, they think I'll, I'll miss it. I'll miss it. I'll, miss, I'll, you know, I'll miss something. But then they'll think to themselves, well, that's been on my desk for four years. I can let it go now. No, they'll those will, they'll argue they'll they what this is what they say. I saved that for a reason. Oh. Therefore, it <laughs> must it be important. Reason. Like oh they God. don't want to know that they didn't make the right decision. Oh. And I think that's a lot of it too. You know, um, I call it the stuff I keep paying for. It's like you made a bad decision. You bought a treadmill without realizing that you hate to run, but you're going to hang on to that. You're going to punish yourself to remind yourself every day. I got to clean my desk when I go home. <laughs> Get rid of a treadmill. <laughs> and I, I ever, I, we, I'm a little bit of a book hoarder too. Yeah. You Information junkie. Uh, yeah. Or do you think it makes people think you're smart? Yeah. Yeah. Look but, at what but I read. More, it's more I do refer back to yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. I do. And when I've got, I'm always grateful when I've got them because I'm always a little vague. Was it that book? Was that? And then I'll find it and I'll use it. So, you know, I. But it's too much. Yeah. You know? But I think that I understand. I have a lot of reference books I go back to too. But I always think you can always do a pass, right? You're always going to pull out 10 books that you're like, I'm not going to read this paperback that I bought at the airport because I didn't have anything oh, yeah, to read. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and look, yeah. some people. The book hoarders are a very vocal crowd. You know, like look, they don't want to let go of stuff. No, and look, if you love your books, if you walk in and you see thousands of books and they make you happy, keep them. It's the people who are like, oh, these books, and I have to step over them. That's the litmus test, right? Like, if you love it, if you absolutely love it, keep it. But if it's getting in the way of living the life you want to be, like, then let's have a different conversation. The book is Making Space Clutter-Free, the last book on decluttering you'll ever need. Uh, it's on Amazon now, Declutterfly, letter D, clutterfly.com, and follow Tracy at Tracy underscore McCubbin. 
Anything else? We we miss anything? I think we covered it all. I think we're good. I think I'm going to probably come to your house in the new year. I you think got a they're, garage? They're, yes, I got a garage. <laughs> well, I'm going to see if we can do it ourselves first because there's a plan. Okay. And we'll see. Okay. And if we can't do it, we're calling you. My garage guys are great. So right. sometimes an extra set of hands. Fair enough. Thank you so much, uh, Tracy McCubbin, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Mm-hmm.